There we go. Got it. We've been uh, doing doing uh, monthly themes based on the five universals of change. Ooh, fancy, colorful looks. And um, it's all about uh, how do we uh, we see a lot of frameworks and tools and easy answers on social media, like oh, just create psychological safety and things will be fine. And that's not an easy thing to do. Um, or just do this liberating structures technique and everything will be great. And it's relationships and change, deep change is a lot more difficult than that, obviously. Um, so we've been doing these monthly themes to try to understand uh, and how to bring back the emphasis on our perspective of change agents, because often we externalize what the problem is. It's those people are resisting or how can I get those people to buy in or uh, everything I'm doing is great. I've, I've got, I'm using the best method. I have a growth mindset. Everybody else has a fixed mindset and I have to externalize and do these things. And um, our themes on these five universals have been more about how can we take a step back, look at our own personal responsibility and look at how we could maybe shift our thinking because, you know, anybody who's read, obviously, Carol's work, she doesn't say growth and fixed mindset is a binary thing. <clears throat> we all have both. It's a matter of context and timing and experiences. And it's a lot more complicated than to say uh, just, you know, you have X or Y uh, mindset. So um, last month's theme was how can we flip the bit from blaming people uh, for resisting change uh, and think about how can we learn and understand the reaction people are having to change? And then how can that shift our perspective um, to change the change? So this month, it's all about meaningful dialogue. So um, <laughs> meaningful dialogue, how can we switch our, our stance or look at a different perspective when we typically think about change communications as being, you know, it's funny how I hear the term two-way communication, which to me is still not dialogue. It's more of um, um, uh, Andrew, here's why you need to do the change over. And then you acknowledge the message and send a message back. And to me that it's subtle and maybe it's a bit nuanced and pedantic, but, uh, um, pedantic, sorry. Uh, but how could we shift towards getting away from thinking that we can just tell people what's in it for them with communications and then they'll go do it. And how do we encourage deeper, meaningful dialogue so we can actually um, figure out how to nudge change forward, but make it more meaningful, make it more about a truly diversive and inclusive approach, which is invite people to the party and ask them to dance, but let them opt out versus getting into more of a coercive type of mode. So this is, I think that, uh, so this is our first, I guess, guest speaker. So we've got Andrew and Sue who uh, I've known forever and Sarka obviously knows uh, us as well. The four of us were involved in Spark the Change in Toronto and Sarka, um, actually, I think it would be better to get you, you all to um, in introduce yourselves. And like I said, I was up watching the eclipse, so I'll try not to ramble and I'll try to be relatively <laughs> prepared, not speak. I'm, I'm pretty tired. So I'm going to pass the ball to Sarka to introduce herself and then you can pass it to the next person. Perfect. I'm going to do a really short introduction, but before I introduce myself, I'm also going to introduce the show. So we are all at Perspectives of Change. 
And this is a show that is dedicated to exploring how do we not change forward by understanding and valuing multiple perspectives. I'm Sadika Karbanda, and we have two amazing speakers or guest speakers here with us today, along with Jason Little, who is going to moderate the conversation. I'm not sure what I'm saying there, but he's going to do that. We just assigned him to do that. <laughs> So we've got Sue Johnston and Andrew Annette. I'm hoping I pronounced both the names correctly, but I'm going to pass this now to Sue. Would you like oh. to introduce yourself? Okay, thanks, Sarika. I, uh, this is absolutely my favorite topic. I spent my entire life as a professional communicator, starting as a journalist in broadcasting, like officially broadcasting, sending stuff out into the world and then later into newspapers. And the, the whole thing that kind of at some point in, in my career, uh, later in communication as a, as a corporate communicator, I realized that sending stuff out was, was what we were doing and it wasn't really what needed to happen. And so I became absolutely obsessed with the kind of conversations that we have at work. And, you know, I even wrote a book about it. And, uh, so we'll talk maybe a bit, bit about that later. But the, but the whole idea of, of communication as a tool is really interesting to me and how we use it well. And so with any luck, some of that will come up in our conversation. Definitely getting your book up. And I do want to talk, uh, want you to talk about the manifesto. I'm so curious about that. So <laughs> I'll see there. We have another copy of the book. Can I also put my Kindle version book out there? Just because, you know, since everybody is just doing that. Today, I have it too. Nice as a Kindle. <laughs> All right. Andrew, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, so uh, Jason and I have a, a long and storied history. We worked together in a couple of uh, challenging and interesting and educational circumstances. And, um, uh, and Sue and I have a long history. We've <coughs> been married for 30 plus years. Um, so uh, no influence there. <laughs> Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm fascinated by this whole subject of how do people uh, create common understanding in a way that's effective and, and meaningful. So this is a subject that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I think everything begins with language and um, the way in which we use language and talk with one another and seek agreement and this is also critical <clears throat> and just broadcasting and hoping that your thinking will stick in somebody else's confused brain is uh, really self-delusional, not very helpful. So let's talk about how we can improve that. Jason, could I request you to introduce yourself? Oh, okay, uh, sure. I'm Jason um, and the author of Lean Change and Change Agility. And yes, I've worked with Sue and Andrew and Sarka before. So we've been a part of Spark the Change Toronto. And um, I spoke at Spark the Change India when Sarka ran one there. She actually, before all this remote stuff happened, we actually brought Sarka in um, with a Kubi robot at one of our Spark the Changes in Toronto. So we put her on the tabletop. And, uh, and she joined from there. So we've, we've known each other for, for quite a while. And I would say pretty much anything you hear me say that is coherent and sounds awesome is directly stolen from Andrew. 
I, <laughs> we got to a point where it was, uh, you know, I just, would just train myself to say, what would Andrew say? And it would be one word and everybody would understand exactly what it meant and how to move forward, which I think was just a miraculous set of skills. And, and, uh, and the same with the energy from Sue and, and Sarika. So uh, they've been very strong influencers of, of my work and my approach. So now let me, I guess I'll flip it over to Anne because you're beside me on my Zoom screen. If you wanted to just give us a quick introduction of yourself. Yeah, hi, I'm Anne. I'm a Scrum Master. I remember Sue from Play for Agile. So when I saw this LinkedIn invite, I'm like, oh, I'm curious what's, what's there about. And uh, I think having a meaningful dialogue, communication is the basis to everything. So if that can help me in my personal life and in my professional life, um, uh, I'm all ears. And would like to participate as well. I'm just going to butt in there and say, yes, everything you learn about communicating effectively in the workplace absolutely fixes things back home. (laughs) Yeah, and that's what I'm rooting for. (laughs) I'm I'm afraid that Susan might share some examples of that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll pass the ball to Donald. Thanks, Anne. Uh, So I'm filling the role of Agile coach and Scrum Master right now recently uh, moved over to a journey design role. So as we are moving to journey designs uh, in the organization um, and lots of other change that we're, um, it's our fourth transformation. So just in the boat, riding the waves, keep rowing, um, but certainly see lots of opportunity for continuing to improve communications. And uh, I first met Sue many years ago when we uh, did the uh, Agile Coaching Certification uh, in the Design Exchange uh, building. So I will uh, turn things over to Maria. Hi, I'm, I'm Estefania. I'm called Maria Estefania, but nobody calls me Maria. So I'm sorry, I will change my name. I'm from Argentina. I'm a sociologist. Uh, I've been in consulting for more than 18 years in any a lot of transformation projects. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear this thing about dialogue and communication in how we can still be different in organizations, but still work together. How we don't lose our individuality. Mm. And by doing that, how can we create a team? So. I'm excited to, to be here and, and learn. Excellent. Awesome. Welcome, everybody. Um, so we we typically have just some, some topics, so it's not just a straight Q&A, more uh, something that in, uh, is, is dialogue-based. And the thing that uh, always intrigues me the most is uh, I was working in this one organization and we would always, uh, large um, enterprise, we went from zero to 200 teams in uh, about a year and a half or so. And we would regularly do sessions with uh, managers, just kind of closed door coaching sessions with however many managers wanted to show up and attend. And I remember uh, one of the managers said something that was interesting. Um, and it was, well, I guess it's kind of derogatory. Like uh, our coaches suck. Every time we have a problem, all they do is ask us if we talk to our teams. And there's always, it's funny how, uh, I don't know if it's an oversimplification to say we need to have a conversation. That, that's the only way to move things forward. But one interesting nugget that I've, I've picked up from Andrew is the idea of declaring the intent of the conversation. Are we here 
to explore or are we here to get to action? Because I do find a lot of the times we'll have conversations like, well, we always talk about stuff, but we never get anything done. And that creates stress and anxiety. And I was on another call this week about retrospectives and teams not doing improvements and, you know, not being able to separate the signal from the noise, because I don't think we, we spend enough time declaring what the intent of the conversation is, because it's okay to just explore things and not expect an outcome. But if we don't know that going in, that can create more stress and frustration. So I was just curious, Andrew and Sue, um, if you had any thoughts about that or uh, stories about how that helps shape dialogue. I have a million stories, but <laughs> hold back for a while. <laughs> um, the whole idea for me of knowing why you're having the conversation goes right back to the fundamental thing of conscious communication. Um, if we think about conversations generally no one teaches us how to have a conversation we may learn how to decline verbs in french or spanish or some other language we learn whether it's masculine feminine we learn all of this stuff around how to use the language but we don't use the language we don't learn how to use the language to do communication with people um and and so i, I think about the kind of communication that we want to talk about today if, if we think about cars, for example, um, if the car is broken down, then we need a repair. And that's when all of those books like Difficult Conversations, Crucial Conversations, Fierce Conversations, they're for repairing stuff. What we want to do is preventive maintenance. So the first step in that is knowing what you're talking about. You know, what is it? What is your purpose in this conversation? And so often we just kind of <coughs> arrive and have it and that's kind of the the conversation you described um rather than you know using conversations as a really powerful tool and and it's not a tool like a hammer where you know you slam it at people it's more like a leatherman or a swiss army knife or you know something with lots of little pieces and you know this is the piece to use now um it's it's a huge and powerful tool and we really don't use it sort of well enough um so so making the con no i would say before you even start you've got to know why we're having the conversation and then i have three easy steps to follow but um let's start with knowing why we're talking and i hope andrew will build on this I, with I, each, each yeah, other. I'd love to, <laughs> like whenever i mean this applies to all conversation but what we seem to be talking about right now are certainly the example of examples that Jason was using uh, are sort of group conversations. And whenever you go into a group conversation, everybody in the room has in their head some idea about what this is all about or some fear that a decision is going to be made that is not to my advantage or whatever. So there's always the potential for lots of discussion, lots of defensiveness, lots of <coughs> dysfunctional exchange of words. But to get to a conversation and, and, and have it meaningful, it really helps to do this, have this declaration that Jason mentioned. If I know that we as a group are going into a room to explore some different options, <clears throat> then I'm gonna be much more um, at ease about 
trying out a crazy idea or expressing an objection or doing whatever, because <clears throat> that's a forum for expressing these ideas and these, uh, uh, and a decision is not necessarily going to be made or will not be made at that point. If I'm going into a room where a decision is going to be made, <clears throat> then I have a couple of options. Uh, I can prepare for that and make sure that everybody knows my stance before we go in the room. So <clears throat> prepare for a decision meeting is different than prepare for a discussion meeting. And that, you know, it's such a simple thing, <clears throat> but it's really based on how people will participate and whether they have unspoken fears about the nature and content of the conversation. You can just put all that to rest and have <clears throat> much better, uh, much better exchange of ideas. Yeah. Simple. And that's a huge, that's a huge important thing in, in facilitation as well. Like when you send, you know, when you send out an invitation, tell people why you're meeting and what you hope the outcome will be. Um, the, 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 the thing that I look at is, um, if we're here to just explore, let's not decide yet and make it really clear that, you know, we're here to explore this morning and we'll decide tomorrow or next week or later this afternoon. But, um, the, but the, the purpose is the first is the first thing you need to know. And I think that the second thing you need to know, uh, which I would call sort of step one, because purpose is context, um, is who are you talking with? Because the message that I give to Jason and the message that I give to Sarika and the message that I give to uh, to to Donald will will be different based on what I know about them and what I see as their needs. And so we kind of have to make the conversation about the the person who's at the other end because we don't know what they understand until we see how they react or what they do. I mean, I can rehearse my words a thousand times and choose them carefully and translate them into four languages and send them out there. But until I see what you folks do, I don't really know what I said because the, the understanding is the important part here. So, so knowing if I'm talking to a group of, you know, angry users or I'm talking to a group of, you know, dynamic co-op students or I'm talking to grumpy, you know, grumpy developers. Um, I, I have to sense that. What, is, what are they, who are they, and what do they need right now? And I can ask them. What? Mm. Yeah. So, like, you know, my, my three-step thing is like, who? Who are we talking to? What's their, what's going on for them? What? What is it we want to have happen? What is the outcome we're looking for? Um, you know, we, we have to we have to sort of give the, give the direction, but not directions. And and you know, really kind of figure out where we're we're trying to go through navigation in the conversation. So who is first? Then what is it where we're trying that we're trying to you know get at the end of this conversation? And then why? And that goes back to Andrew and his intention. Um, why always matters. And if we don't tell them our intention, then they'll make it up. Um, one of the things I do sometimes is, is train media spokespersons. And we have a saying that if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. And so if I come in with any kind of message and I don't tell you what the purpose is, or why I'm telling you this, then you're going to make it up. And it may not be the right thing. It may even be a sinister thing. 
Well, they're just telling us this because we right. <laughs> um, so, so those th three things I think are the are the, the key steps of any communication. You know, know why you're there, but who are you talking to? What do you want to happen as a result? What do you want people to think or do differently? And um, and then uh, what what is your intention here? Cool. Estefania, you've got your hand up. Yeah, because I'm hearing and I totally agree what you are saying, but how can you help when the person who has to deliver the message that doesn't really get the importance of asking the audience what they need to hear or not what, but how they need to hear it? Mm. Because everybody has to do uh, their journey. They're, they have to evolve in their own yeah. pace their own pace so when you have that situation in a sponsor in a ceo uh, how how do you help them transition from one stage to the other i think you talk to them about david marquet have you read turn the ship around i imagine you oh well you will love it um, <laughs> um but his his uh his thing is to let leaders know that telling people is not going to be the way things work um, effectively, that you're, you're better off to have a conversation around how will this work. I'm kind of misinterpreting him, but one of the things he does is he, he, his, his job was uh, to, to take a nuclear submarine and turn it around. And it was a, a, a nuclear submarine for which he was not particularly trained. So he did not have all the, the, the knowledge of how to run this particular one. And he had to rely on his people. And you know, he, they had been told for many years to, you know, do what the boss says, do what the captain says. And suddenly here's a guy asking them questions and it took him a while. And it was a struggle for him. But I think any kind of leader needs to know that we can't just say things and it will be so. You know, I, I take my magic CEO wand and I wave it at my people because that doesn't work anymore. It maybe worked in the 19th century and much of the 20th, but, but, People are woken up now, and I'm rambling here. Somebody help. <laughs> but I guess you have to have the conversation with them about, you know, orders don't work. And, um, and, and how it lands is more important than what you say. Right. Sometimes, I mean, I think about all the years that I wrote executive speeches and we struggled for the words and we made sure that it was all right. And what really needed to happen was for them to see his face and see that he cared rather than whether he used, you know, the subjunctive verse or opened with a um, with with a paragraph that was wrong. Yeah. In this case, I'm asking, I'm thinking about a specific client. Uh, he's mm. the CEO and, yeah. and he really cares. He really cares. He really wants to make things more simple uh, with his people. He, he really listens. I mean, he incorporates feedback. But when you tell to him, okay, why don't you build this idea you have that you think that it will make things more simple for them? Why don't you discuss it with them? And when you say that, he kind of, he doesn't say no, but you hear what he says and he says, okay, then 
we will make this PPT presentation more simple so that they don't have to put in too much data and put too much effort on it. And, and he kind of stays with that. I don't know if it's fear, if fear that you may be asked something that you may not have the answer at that moment. So yeah. it's kind of trying to walk with him into this new way of, of connecting with people. And it's really hard. I mean, well, this, yeah. is a bit, this is a very common issue, I think, with senior people that they have spent their entire career being rewarded for telling people what to do. And knowing stuff. And knowing stuff. And when they're faced with the prospect of saying, I don't know what we should do. Um, do you have any ideas <clears throat> that diminishes their status, if you like, in the organization? Now they're no longer you know, the boss, so, or so it seems. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think the way around that is to, um, is to slowly work towards the situation that David Marquette found himself in, which is, <clears throat> I can't be the boss because I don't know all the things, but I, I can create an environment in which the people who know the things can feel safe about expressing them and, and still retain this uh, seniority relationship. And um, so it's a, I think it's a very valuable book. And, and I think it's a, it's a subtle but important shift away from this, I know everything and I'm gonna tell you what to do, <clears throat> to I know everything about making us able to work together to get the things done that we do. And that's why I think facilitation is the <clears throat> sort of management skill for the 21st century. because. Life is complicated. We can't know everything, but we can develop the skill to have good conversations and good decision making and good uh, information gathering to make reasonable decisions. Yeah. The other thing that is in the back of my mind, sort of while I'm on the stage here, is that as uh, change agents and as executives, we think that the other people in the room are skilled at expressing themselves and are self-aware <clears throat> enough to, uh, to know what uh, message uh, they're giving back to whoever's at the front of the room. And I remember a fabulous day, I was with Jason. <clears throat> we had a standing meeting with a bunch of managers and, and they were a tough lot and they were always late and so they dragged their butts into this meeting room and, and it had been a hard week anyway, but, but they just sat there like lumps on a log and I'm going, oh, this is going to be an interesting meeting. And Jason just stood up at the front and said, you know, uh, you all look tired. I'm tired. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm canceling this meeting. And he walked out and left me there with them. <laughs> really? I don't remember that. Uh, <laughs> you weren't <yeah>. there. <laughs> the, the corporation. Yeah. All the managers. So they were like just shell-shocked that. Um, and so we had a bit of a conversation, like five minutes, about what the hell just happened here. And um, and they were they were completely unaware that they were like just presenting this affect of flatness. Like, oh, we just, we're just here because we have to be here. 
and uh, tell us what to do, and then we'll go away and do it. And that, mm. that wasn't the whole issue. This meeting was for them and us to be in discussion about what was working, what was not working, what could we help them with, what do we want to stop doing? And they just walked in the room and tell us. And uh, that, well, obviously it didn't uh, make the impression on Jason, but it made on me, but that's one of my, <laughs> my highlight dates. I thought it was going to be the tolerating one because in the same organization, we, we, we were doing one of those retrospectives and Andrew grabbed a flip chart and wrote, um, we started the, the retrospective with um, the question he asked was, what are you tolerating? And holy cow, was that a good retrospective? Because it wasn't, it was focused on uh, um, dropping the baggage, right? There was stuff like, we freaking hate lunchtime meetings. Uh, we don't want, there's games of schedule chicken. We got into a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't even on our radar. And, and I remember, um, talking about how it, I, I think we used as, as used that conversation as an opportunity to say, we're here to help not to be in the way. So if we're in the way, tell us we're in the way and we'll pull back. Um, I, I'm not sure if that was what the reality was, but I remember that question, that little intervention is is the thing that did it. And it, it kind of, um, the two themes through that last conversation that, that really struck me was one was congruence. So Sue talking about self, other, and context. So are we valuing what we need from the conversation? So it's not uh, just we're going to placate and we're going to do whatever the other needs for the conversation. It's I have needs that I need other so the person or the people they have needs within a context and we need to consider all three to move forward and the preparation time because mm. a lot of the, the stories andrew and i talked about was these man, poor managers like from like 6 a.m to 6 p.m solid meetings running back and forth you don't get time to take a break and sue i noticed you have notes and i've worked with you before so i know for an hour workshop you'll take two hours to prepare because that's the responsible thing to do, right? Do we take the time to prepare for these conversations? And you guys know me, I fly blind. I'll like, I'll walk into anything and do it. And it probably will end up horrible because I didn't do any planning. But how much time do you spend preparing for these conversations? And is that something that we just assume we can walk into one and just have one? Or do we actually take 15, 20 minutes, an hour or whatever for an hour meeting with these managers and leaders um, to think about what we want this conversation to be about. Does anybody do that now? So if you're going into a coaching session with a team or anything, do you just kind of go in and you've got a loose plan, but you, you haven't thought about the conversation and how you're going to navigate through it? Depends on the audience in my case. <laughs> Maybe when you go to a client, to a leadership team, you do think what you want to get out of that and, and try to also understand the context you are having either that workshop or conversation in uh, because it's a client. Maybe when, when I have a talk with my team, I don't take the time to prepare conversations. So it mm. really depends. In my case, uh, I think I for me, have, uh, go ahead, Donald. Go ahead, Anne. 
Um, when I talk with my scrum team, when I'm doing a specific workshop and I know the topic, I go with the what, um, what we're trying to achieve. Um, but sometimes I forget to go with the why. So at least mm. the team knows what we're trying to achieve. And I do have to prepare because I know, I know my team, they, some people go off <laughs> on a tangent. So I got to make sure that it's very specific. We have so many time to do this, so many time to decide. And, and, and how do I, do I approach it? So I have to do some preparation. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm thinking back to what Estefania said earlier, and it reminds me of a Venn diagram that I always draw. And, and one of the things uh, is, I don't know if these things show up that you can read them or not, but um, the, the piece, the, there's the context in which we're, in which we're communicating, you know, like, what's the mood? What's the, the situation? There's the content, which is what it is we're trying to, uh, to talk about. But we also have to look at the contact method, right? Like, is this time for a conversation? Should this be a phone call? Can this be an email? Should this be a meeting? Blah, blah, blah. When we get all those three things lined up together, that's the, where the communication happens. And, and, and I think we often un, undervalue the other components besides the what do we want to say. Um, and, and so we really need to think of, you know, if, say, Estefania is my boss and I need to have to talk with her. I mean, I need to know, is this something for which I send an email or can I talk to her and how do I persuade her to talk to me? And, and, and so looking at the what is the best form for us to have a real connection here um, is, is going to be important. And that's part of going back to what Jason's been saying of our planning. Uh, because it may well be that the meeting you're about to have should be an email or, you know, the email you're about to send should be a meeting. So those are or things. A phone call. Yeah. Nobody uses a phone anymore. It's like we all have one somewhere in our possession. We think it's a camera. <laughs> <laughs> Donald, you had a comment? That, that... Yeah, I was just going to add, you know, it's been interesting uh, like for for group meetings um often i've used uh purpose process payoff yeah uh, you know right mm -hmm. um and often now that's what i kind of give people if they're struggling with what to write in for an agenda it's like why are you getting together what's the process we're going to use and when you start doing that yourself if the process is i'm going to give you all the information and we're done probably just don't even need to get together so <laughs> what is it you expect out of everyone not just yourself in the group and then the payoff is by the end of it. And so to the comment made earlier of, are we really trying to get to a decision today or not? Um, I, I find this helpful. And early on, I used to say, when I was going into coaching conversations, like I wouldn't prepare because I was like, well, no, I don't want to have an agenda. I just want to go in and, and read it. And what I've learned is I still need to prepare of, you know, um, what, where's the conversation been? Where, where is it going? Um, you know, what, particular approach might I be using, um, you know, is, is, you know, for example, should I be looking to use clean questions here? Does this person bring out a lot of metaphors? Um, so mm -hmm. kind of early on, I used to say, if it's a coaching conversation, you know, no, because I should have no agenda and I should just listen and respond. Um, and then after a while, you know, some growth there for me has been still need to prepare me, prepare in, in a different way. So um, that's kind of been, I really like the diagram, Sue, that you just have the Venn diagram. I think I've seen it before. It's just kind of like, oh, 
right. Uh, so I will probably steal that shamelessly along with the, what are you tolerating? Uh, I hosted, a, uh, you mentioned liberating structure, Jason. I do host an internal LS meetup uh, in my organization. So I think I'm gonna use that as an invitation for uh, for my next one. So um, steal that shamelessly, Andrew, thank you. Good luck. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we learn things we didn't really want to know. <laughs> and maybe so that, that if back to uh, question again, maybe we learned something we didn't really want to know. Maybe part of what that that executive is concerned about, because if I find out too much about what's going on with my employees and the people that are working for us, it will be yet another problem. And I already have enough. Hard to say. It's one of those things where there needs to be a conversation about what are you afraid of in a kind and gentle way. Yeah. What's, I, I, think, I think the coaching question there is what's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, I think the risk lies there because getting to really have all the information, all the picture, what that would mean for him, what will he have to change yep. in order to... to to, to connect. Uh, so again, it's really difficult to, to shift yeah. from one way of, of like uh, Andrew said, from one way of managing for so many years in the same way and being successful. Why should I change? Yeah. Mm -hmm. the, the only thing I'm thinking, I'm thinking that if you think about movie characters or people in the world, vulnerability is really attractive. It, it, it's not something that's easy to talk about with men, especially, but, but when they show some vulnerability, it makes us like them more, right? It's not, it, 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 and maybe there's a conversation there that can happen how, you know, think of, of who are the movie characters or the, even the politicians that we, that we love. Uh, Obama, for example, was, was humble in a lot of his talking, and that was part of his attractiveness. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. We're trying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the interesting thing with the, the, the leader thing, too, is I think sometimes we, we underappreciate how much stress they're under. Oh. Like it's pretty easy to 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 hang the blame on leaders, but I think there is a. I I would argue that trying to understand what a Fortune fifty CEO is going through, as much as you know, we like to say the status I'm an executive coach and blah blah blah. I don't think you can really get it. I don't think you, we can truly understand the amount of stress and pressure at that level, plus the amount of things that are taking up cognitive space in their brains. So there's, you know, the idea that one of the styles, right? Be brief, be bold, be gone. Sometimes I think we translate that into they don't care or they don't want to spend the energy or they don't, you know, they just want to tell people and get it done. And a lot of that time I think is self-preservation because you mm -hmm. can't, at that level, you can't be deeply involved with so many different things. You'll drive yourself crazy. And you see that with stress and divorce rates and, uh, you know, stuff from, from leaders who are in those, those positions. And I think part of it is having a little more, maybe even sympathy sometimes and recognizing that as change agents, we have a lot more power and influence than we think because they rely on us. Mm -hmm. to translate and convey things and move things forward. And uh, we don't have to get locked into, oh, well, they said, therefore I will now broadcast this downwards. 
we can switch our stance to um, a more pull-based model by just understanding like what their, their intent is. So that's an interesting observation. I've got two reactions or two stories to tell on top of that. One is, um, generally speaking, as these executives gather more and more power, they have fewer and fewer options to use it. And they have great positional power, but they can't go and just do stuff in the middle of the organization without causing all kinds of disruption. So they may have great ideas, they may have power, but they don't have optionality. But about, and, and these run in inverse proportions, more power, less optionality. <clears throat> the other it, thing that I wanted to share was this idea of the wake that an executive leaves. So uh, executives are like great big power boats driving past a bunch of people paddling canoes. And if they go slowly, the canoes will not tip over. If they go roaring past, then people are in the water and there's all kinds of, all kinds of disruption. If they leave a big wake and powerful executives leave big wakes, whether they're conscious of it or not, so the president of a company goes into the office and sits down on the <clears throat> beside a, a developer and says, oh, wouldn't it be a good idea if all of the buttons were orange? And, uh, and then all of a sudden, everyone's turning all the buttons orange. Not because it's a good idea, but because that's the wake the executive has left behind. And, um, and so... <clears throat> Executives get burned by this once or twice, and then they start being more guarded. So they have fewer options for engaging with the organization. And, um, and then they become aloof and remote, and they're that guy who's causing all the problems. So it's a fascinating dynamic, but plays out over and over. That's, that's why we as coaches or change leaders or just people who care about their organizations sometimes need to have that conversation about, have you noticed that when you're in the room, people are doing whatever? Or have you noticed that when you say X, this happens? And that's when we talk about, you know, could you speak later in the meeting or various things? I can think of an example from one of the huge huge banks I worked at um, in Toronto some years ago. We had a very smart guy, charge of personal banking. Um, he was in a meeting one day and he said, oh, maybe we should have a product like blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember what it was. Uh, his team went out and created this product, brought it back as a prototype and showed him. And they're all so proud of it. And he goes, whose stupid idea was that? And, you know, it wasn't a reformed idea. It was a half-baked notion in his mind, but he said it out loud. And so, you know, that was a big lesson for him, a huge lesson for him. But it wasn't a good lesson for the organization because he started not sharing his ideas because yeah, so so he needed perfect, he needs to learn to say, I'm just spitballing here. Right? <laughs> perfect example of his optionality being reduced mm -hmm. because of his position. Yeah. You can't go around saying crazy stuff anymore. No, yeah. without and saying, I, I'm just thinking out loud here. And I think our responsibility too is to learn that style. Yeah. Because the, the underlying thread is, uh, and uh, I can't remember if it was Sue or Andrew that got this from, the percentage of the conversation you believe you're responsible for. 
<laughs> so if you're having a conversation, what percentage is your responsibility? Just out of curiosity, anybody throw out a percentage. So you're having a chat with somebody, what percentage of the responsibility is on you? 100%. 100%. Communication. Yeah. You, need, you, need a, you need another one to, to, to dialogue. So yeah. you are as responsible as the other person. So yeah. you're responsible so for how they understand it. You're responsible yeah. for you know them getting it clear. You're responsible I, for understanding what you're part of, what, what they are saying. Yeah. I remember hearing that that story, that product story, and that was, uh, I don't remember when we talked about it, it was a while back, but uh, that that helped with, um, uh, we talk about declaring the intent of the conversation, but also uh, when that situation happens and you know the style of somebody who's who's who thinks with their mouth, that's not good, bad, or whatever, but some people think through stuff by talking. Yeah. So now my technique is, I have heard this, I'm not going to do anything about it. Or do you want me to take action on this? So yeah. it's really clarifying that when you know somebody needs time to kind of talk and think out loud, uh, you can reflect back to them. Um, I'm going to go build this product. Is this what you're asking? Oh, no, I'm just shooting the shit. Right. You, you be able to get people because everybody's got their, their natural uh, responses and things. Right. And uh, Sarka can probably talk about this because I'm, kind of like that too just the constant the ideas coming out and we're very i think we're very good at questioning intent we're both hugely biased for action and yeah. we've now trained ourselves to say is this something we need to act on right now is this something we need to fix right now because we would chase squirrels a lot we would go oh this is a problem let's go fix it and then we would derail what we wanted to really do by chasing squirrels. And then we talked about that. And now I think we, we, we can be open about, um, uh, should we take action on this? No, this can wait. Awesome. Let's throw it away and we'll come back to it later. This is really the perfect example of dialogue in action. The example that Sue gave executive pronounces big idea. There was no dialogue there. People in the room just went, Oh, that's what he wants. That was the marketing that's people. That's yeah. what we're given. <clears throat> and all it would have taken was a little bit of dialogue, like you, your example, to say, oh, is this something we should act on now? And he would go like, no, that's crazy talk. Okay, yeah. good. I think it's just important to recognize that everybody's different and the way everybody is going to communicate is different. And if you can understand those differences in how people are going to communicate and connect, you're going to be able to, you know, adjust your own approach to that communication. And, and that responsibility is totally on you. Cue communication styles. <laughs> because different personalities have different ways of communicating. And, and, and our industry, those of us who work in software, are particularly um, there's a the, the overrepresented group is people who are rational or what we call rationals and um, they're also overrepresented in the CEO tribe right and so these are people who believe logic is is everyone understands the same logic that I do I just need to tell people once they will get it and um, 
And I don't really need to be too compassionate because they'll understand what I'm doing. Meanwhile, there are these other people who are out there going, oh my gosh, he looked at me sideways, you know, or what does he mean? Or give me more information or this is this an order? Yes, it feels like one. And Or there are other people who will go, well, you know, if he if he wants it, he'll ask again. So we need to to understand that that when we speak to people, we need to to deal with the emotional side as well as the logical side. We need to deal with the action side because there are the people like Sark and and Jason who want to go on it right away. And it's, we need to say, well, we don't need to act on this yet, but be thinking about right. So understanding, you know, whether whether you you know use communication styles from one of the one of the um, assessments or or you're just kind of aware of how people generally trend um we've got to we got to understand that there's more than one piece of communication that needs to happen um my favorite one is there's a certain kind of person i call them artisans who just can't stand being in a planning meeting they just can't um because they have a bias for action and they're sitting there and they're twitching and they're not paying attention <laughs> continuous partial attention <laughs> you know but give them something to do or don't invite them right I tell them later so there's you know get to again it's, it's it's who are we talking to and when we're talking to a large group we have to understand that there's going to be all types so as we get into the wrap-up because we're getting up to the top of the hour oh, no, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, the intention of uh, the, these five universals is the, is the teeter-totter. It's the balance board. It's, there is no binary. There's no right, wrong. There's always a time to share information with people. And there's a time for dialogue. And it, the context matters the most. And we as the change agents need to know when to balance which approach at the right time. Um, but when it comes right down to it, meaningful change is only going to happen if we have meaningful dialogue. So uh, just to wrap up, um, just an open invitation around the room. Was there an aha moment that stuck out from this, this session for anybody? Um, the Venn diagram kind of places things around. And just a reminder of the context, the content, the contact, what, what is the purpose? Because in some cases, if I'm just, and I realize that, some meetings, I'm basically just giving them information mm -hmm. and realize that, you know what, I could have just written this in Confluence and just say, hey, here's the link. So it, it's it's a good reminder and the different communication styles. I think that's something that I, personally I need to, to understand better because um, it's true. It does make a huge difference knowing uh, each person's communication style. Thank you. By the way. For me, it was Stefania's question about that leader it, because it's a problem that is always, always around and, and it's hard for us because we have to find that courage to have the conversation. Even when we think we're good at conversation, we still have, we still have to jump over a bit of a hoop, uh, hurdle to get there. So thanks for that reminder. I have a lot of aha moments, uh, <laughs> but I, I think that what uh, what Sue mentioned is that if you don't tell your story, then someone will for you, or mm -hmm. it will probably, probably tell another different story, so you will lose your opportunity. And then what? Um, um, what's his name? I'm sorry, Graham, right? 
no, Andrew, sorry. Andrew mentioned about this, uh, this kind of what leaders were about during the 90s or, or, yeah. or in the 20th century and what uh, they kind of uh, had to start uh, managing today that they don't need to have to have all the answers to everything but they do need to have do need to know do have to know how to develop the skills to get to those answers to 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 get their teams and themselves to to get to those answers and finally this whole idea of vulnerability i think that's kind of the core uh, problem that the, that is underlying all these conversations so thank you. So um, for me, it wasn't so much an aha moment, but it's a thread of thinking around um, the difficulties of getting senior leaders to change. And, and often, so here's an interesting question. Where do, where do leaders go to get ideas they're comfortable with. Golf club. <clears throat> well, that's right. It's a, from their peers, their peers. sometimes. But, uh, but we can all think of, uh, you know, tons of information that would be useful to these leaders, but they have no time. Yeah. They have no time to do this. They have no time to do that. But, uh, you know, I'm thinking of uh, <clears throat> the leader that you're talking about, Mr. Um, Fanyan. And you know, to me, something that would be really useful is for him maybe to learn about the Semco story in Brazil. Mm. Semco is, a, is an organization that completely democratized itself. The leaders essentially stepped right back and let the people who were doing the work in the business run everything, decide what the salaries were going to be, like completely the opposite of, of the sort of uh, top-down leader. And recognizing that people can make those kinds of choices and still thrive can be a real eye-opener because I don't have to go that far, but you can go that far and you know nobody dies. <laughs> this is good. Mm -hmm. So that may be something, uh, <clears throat> something that you would like to investigate with me. Um, it's, a, it's an inspirational but very frightening uh, story, the Semco story. <laughs> but I, if I was an executive, I would find, oh my God, how could they possibly do that? As a as a change agent, I'm going to yay Semco. <laughs> the shareholders will go crazy. Right? Um, but uh, but I think you know that's the biggest hurdle is um, is to get people who. Are, are hesitant to try something new, to express their fear without calling them afraid, because afraid is not a <clears throat> is not a powerful attribute or a manly attribute or a CEO-ish attribute. Um, What's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, That's a kind question. It is a kind question, and it generates options. Like, if that worst thing happened, how would we recover? What would we do in response to that? I mean, there's all there's lots of potential for a great dialogue around what is keeping you stuck with the status quo. 
You're not going to find out unless you talk. <laughs> <laughs> Any last words, Sarka? And I'm just going to uh, grab a quote from uh, what Sue probably says in the book. To truly communicate with the other, we must first understand who we are, who they are, and what both need from each other and from the world. I, I would use that as a fantastic way to wrap this up because it's so important to understand yourself, the other, and what do you really need from that context. Um, yeah. Awesome. Very cool. So thank you so much for taking the time to uh, taking the time out to join the session today. Uh, we do one of these every month. So the next one, I think we're going to probably mid-December or so, because we know December is going to be a, and eh, nobody wants to work during the month of December, especially after coming to the tail end of the pandemic. But yeah, I appreciate very much everybody for, for taking the time today. So thank you very much. Thanks everyone. Lovely That's seeing wrong. you again and meeting you. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.